continuing on what I've been talking about, I, I wanted today we're, we're going to cover the Ascension, and then Doug Johnson will be here next week, which is going to be way fun. I can't wait to have Doug here, and he's going to be going even further with that. So I want to, as we come to the as Ascension, I, I wanted to take a moment and kind of set the stage from a military standpoint, and I'm going to use N.T. Wright's definition that when Jesus came, the revolution had begun. And so we, we watched the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. And so if I can set the scene as a battle, the crucifixion, the enemy was drawn into the trap. Well, one, one of the, one of uh, a, age-old military trap, and it's actually in the scriptures, it's been used there multiple times, is you have the main set of your army on one side and the other of the valley. You send out a set of forces to engage the enemy, and just as it gets hot, your forces retreat and run back up the valley, which the enemy is now sure that they have them trapped. And so they, the army in boldness walks in, anticipating the massacre. That's just a Typical military stance, you can do it with tanks, you can do it with men, all that kind of stuff. Um, and you can do it with Rambo, and there's a lot of people, you can do it with a lot. Yeah. So when I've been thinking about the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension, Yahweh's three-point battle plan was to trick the enemy into thinking that they had won, do what looks like a retreat, and then annihilate the enemy with the main force. So Jesus marches, now, as we've been talking about over the weeks, from a Jewish mindset, everything was focused on, if Messiah comes, it's in the, it's in the model or the prototype of the Exodus. God will raise up a leader, that leader will raise up an army. That army will drive out the enemy. That army will establish uh, the government as God intends it to be established. And then the temple will be cleansed. And then God himself can come and inhabit the temple. And then Israel at that point will be the nation that, that rules the world. And they had plenty of, of uh, verses through the Old Testament to give them that sense of hope. Jesus and so their concept of Messiah wasn't God coming. It was God moving on a man, and that man would bring liberation. We see that, you know, that's, that's the Exodus story. But we see that story plays out in the book of Judges. It plays out through Kings and Samuel, various places. So for a Jew, it was steeped in their mindset. This is what God's going to do. Except God didn't do that. He shows up himself and says, you know, I've kind of looked over the lay of the land here. You guys aren't going to be able to do it. You've tried. We've come up with various plans, and you've failed at every step. So I'm going to do it, and then when I do it, it'll be done. Hence, Jesus finally, his declaration from the cross, it's finished. You know, what is finished? The old way of doing things, a new creation has now come. So Jesus shows up, 
crucifixion. He shows up, he chooses Passover as the date is going to happen. We talked about that. So again, that's playing into the Jewish mindset. Um, Jesus then, when he comes, he creates the tension, which ultimately is going to create the, the, um, the two, the, the, the enemies coming together in, plan, in battle plans. So Jesus shows up, one, you know, he declared himself to be the temple. That made a lot of people mad. Two, he declared himself to be God. That made a lot of people furious. So if you claim to be the temple and you claim to be God, the natural, well, I don't even, it's natural, it's insane to me, but I, I probably would have made the same decision. So where do you arrive at? We got to kill him. Well, if he is God, I don't think killing him is going to work. But since we're convinced that he's not God, yeah, let's kill him. So that, so that was the plan. So then Jesus comes walking in, the, you know, what we call the triumphal entry. He's coming into Jerusalem ahead of, ahead of the feast. And you know, they're laying down the, the palm branches and, and, and crying Hosanna you know, to God in the highest. You know, all, this, all this symbolism is happening. Jesus rides in on a donkey. Not exactly your picture you want to paint if you're thou the conquering king. Strolls in on a donkey. You would think at that point he would, as we talked about this, he would, he would have assembled his army who were on the streets ready to go. This is our liberator. Finally, you know, what the Maccabees couldn't do, what others couldn't do, he's going to do. But instead of assembling the army, he goes to the temple. There's the whole temple story that takes place. And so... He's, he's, all, he's been telling them what you're expecting is not what you're going to get. But they were so sure that what they were expecting was right that they couldn't hear him. Even his disciples, they had been with him for three years. They still couldn't hear him. He's telling them things. And then we see in the scriptures where later they go, oh, that's what he meant. Yeah, that's what he meant. Well, I wish he had made it clear. Well, he actually did. You were just so convinced he didn't know what he was talking about that you heard only what you wanted to hear. Not that any of us ever have that problem, but they were having that problem. Jesus comes as the Son of Man, the Messiah. You know, he came down uh, to give life. So in John 8, 28 and Matthew 7, 17, 12, it talks about that. You know, Jesus then gives himself to the powers of this world, choosing to confront sin and death by the power of love and nonviolence instead of tyranny and violence, which Matthew 20, 18 and Matthew 26, 2. So that's where the battle is set. We've got him. We've arrested him. He goes through the whole process that leads up to the crucifixion. Uh, the false trial, the, you know, we've covered all that. But he, that's, now the enemy has him where they want him. And for whatever reason, he doesn't seem to be fighting back. We can't hardly get him to even utter a word. He's now just submitted himself to the tyranny and, and the, uh, the violence that was, that was coming.
And so now the enemy's drawn in. Now there's the crucifixion. Well, Jesus, if you really are who you say were, just come down off the cross, man. What's the problem? I mean, who are you anyway? I mean, you claim all this stuff, but look, you can't even save yourself. You know, if you're, if you're God, where's the angels? How come they're not bailing you out? And so all that was taking place through the crucifixion. Jesus, on his side, knew exactly what he was doing. He was the ransom for us. He was submitting himself to sin and death and the violence and the tyranny that those two things have. He was submitting himself to that. So, in a sense, you know, he's out here, but now it looks like he's retreating from the enemy. He's surrendered to them. He's given himself in. We got him. We got him. Look, we got him. And on the cross, from the enemy's standpoint, perfect plan. Perfect plan. Even Caiaphas, it's, it's, it's good for one to die for the benefit of the nation. Perfect plan. But then there's this problem. Jesus actually was God. And you can't kill God. So, it, so three days, you know, for three days, the enemy is moving in boldness. They're coming in. The trap is set. Sin and death is marching full force. Tyranny has, has raised the pinnacle. It's even, you know, I, I talked about this before, but it still fascinates me that how um, uh, Herod, I think it was, I think it was Herod. I, I didn't put that scripture down, but Herod and Pilate became good friends after they killed Jesus. Sworn enemies, they hated each other. But in killing Jesus, they started going out fishing and having dinner. What, I don't know what kind of friendship they had, but they, they became friends, right? But now they've got this third day problem. On the third day, Jesus is resurrected. The trap that was set now is fulfilled not by the hand of man at any point. It was all God. And it wasn't a God that was way away and could have nothing to do with the Son. It was God who was crucified, God who was laid, the body of God, the human form of God, the was laid in the grave. On the third day, the Father, Jesus was raised from the dead. And as I talked about, when he was raised from the dead, he didn't walk around as a ghost. He wasn't someone that you could kind of look through. You could kind of stick your hand through him. No. The resurrected body, all resurrected bodies are bodies that can do many human characteristics. Jesus ate with them. They touched him. When they touched him, it was like touching you, touching me. Um, you know, those things. The interesting thing is at that point in the resurrection, Jesus is in the resurrected form is now both in heaven and earth. And heaven and earth shift at that point and are still shifted. So God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. That's John 10, 18. 
The resurrection points to the power of God. It's Matthew 22, 31 and 32. Jesus is the resurrection, John 11, 25. And the beginning of the new creation, 1 Corinthians 5, 17 and Matthew 19, 28. So those two events have happened and it brings us to the ascension. So the ascension is the final part of this battle. So if Easter is the prototype of the new creation, the ascension is about his enthronement. Crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, all three have to go together. You can't take any one of those out and understand what God is doing. So God has come. God has manifested himself as a human being, took on our form, took on all that we were, was tempted in all the ways that we can be tempted, and yet without sin, without surrender, without giving, and then also submitted himself to the violence and the tyranny of this world so that the nonviolence and love of the kingdom can now have a place to, to land and to function. So in the ascension, again, going back to some other things we've said, Jewish way of thinking, heaven and earth, they overlap, they're interlocked, and they're close together. It's not heaven way off yonder somewhere and earth right here, nor is it um, uh, Plato's view where earth is, is bad, heaven is good. Heaven is where you get the full measure of, of the various aspects, and we're, as I said, I'm gonna, we're going to spend some time with Plato in a couple weeks. But we're not talking about Plato's world. We're talking about Yahweh's world. And Yahweh's world, the way he created it, functions different than how a man might come up and with a philosophy about how it works. So they're close together. So the ascension tells us four things. First, that heaven and earth are not far apart, uh, the, and that the point of, of Jesus' identity is that he is the walking temple. The temple now is no longer brick and mortar in one place that you go to, the temple is now walking on the earth and comes to you. The temple finds you. The temple provides a shelter that all that Jesus does, he does as the temple. Jesus was and is the place where heaven and earth meet. Every time we read through the gospels, when somebody was in, encountering Jesus, they were encountering heaven. The two were happening. The two were interlocking. The, the, there was the experience that was coming out of that. Jesus was the place where people on the earth came in contact with the power of God, the love of God, the healing of God, the deliverance of God. People would experience what heaven is actually like when they encountered Jesus. This is what it looks like. When Jesus ascended, he didn't go out to Saturn or something. So I guess we could, when, I, when I'm trying to picture like heaven and earth, we could kind of picture it this way. So Jesus has two houses. 
and they're side by side, and they, there's a way to go from house to house through a door. But that door is shut to the people that are on the house called Earth. That door is shut you know, through, through life generally. For heaven, on the other hand, that door opens and shuts. So Jesus is able to be in resurrected form. He's as comfortable in, on, in heaven house as he is earth house, and he moves back and forth. Right. One day at his return, the door is open and it'll never be shut again. Actually, the door will be taken off the hinges. Heaven and earth, the overlap, the interlock will now become, that's the way it, on a daily basis. We are in resurrected form and we move between heaven and earth. The goal is not to get off the earth. The goal is not to get rid of the earth. The goal is that the fullness of heaven permeate the earth until the glory of the Lord covers the whole earth. That's the goal. So, so right now, Jesus can move back and forth. The other thing about the ascension is, and Jesus kept telling him this, you know, he said, look, it's important for me to go away because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit isn't going to come. Well, Jesus, we don't really know Holy Spirit, but we know you. We like you. We'd rather, at this point, can we just have you? I mean... Let Holy Spirit do something else. We just like hanging with you. And he's like, I know, I know. But it's expedient for you that I go. The other point in the, in the ascension is, at that point, Jesus being now enthroned in heaven is also totally present on the earth, not in one location, but in every location. So right now, across the globe, people are having encounters with the living God, not because we all went to a particular building and location, but because Jesus is everywhere so that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amazing. We don't have to speak the same language. We don't have to look alike. We don't have to be under the same government. We don't have to have the same houses. We don't have to have the same hobbies. Nope. Just call upon the name of the Lord, he's right there. Actually, he was there before he went. The was for our benefit. The other thing that, it, that the ascension points out is that God is in charge, and God cares about how humanity is treating his creation. You know, some, the, I think that especially Western church, evangelical Western church, we've done a great disservice when we've made salvation seem to only be about sin and going to heaven. Yeah. One, sin's been dealt with. All I have to do, like you said, Ann, it's already been, I don't have to pray about it. It's already done. So, all I'm really saying is, Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, and whoever believes shall be saved. Right? So we, we've narrowed the message down to those two primary points and then kind of take life as a whole and move it over here in kind of dualistic thinking. And 
with, depending on what circles we may have traveled in, the whole point of salvation is to get out of here. And God's like, I don't want you to leave. I have things for you to do. There's things to, to accomplish. So God, on, when the revolution began, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, as the revolution began, the kingdom of God, the new creation is now released on the earth. It will never retreat. It will never turn back. There's no, there's no point where anything will rule over it. But it is bringing all things into subjection. So we're in that period right now where life, how we live, how the world, the planet functions is being brought into subjection to the plan of God. Yeah. And we have been called to be the imagers, not from a lording over control, all that weird stuff that people get involved in. Now, Jesus said the only way to do this is to love. And I don't want to go, uh, and I, I'll just say from my own heart, one of the, the shifts that I'm finding more and more is I'm, I, and this is only at a personal level. So don't, don't take any of this and even go try to apply it. But I'm finding myself more and more in my own heart and in my own meditations that what Jesus modeled was love and nonviolence as the way to advance the kingdom. Without alignment with principalities and powers, but alignment with his heart and his love. And as I'm, as I'm finding myself more and more in that perspective, um, it, it, um, I find it unsettling. Because there are times, maybe like with what just happened in Texas, there's times where I would prefer an eye for an eye. And then Jesus says, don't live that way. Turn the other cheek. Now, there's a lot, there's a lot of things that that causes. And I'm not saying I'm completely reconciled with them, even in myself. But I can't take away what Jesus said, so i got to figure out what does that look like. But God is in charge, and he, his kingdom is now being ex, ex, uh, expanded in um, Psalms 2. Really neat psalm. Why do the nations rage and peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my, son, my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son 
lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. The nations plot. The nations do all types of things. God is coming and is establishing his plans, his purposes, and really the hope that we live in is that Jesus' return is going to fully establish the kingdom of God on the earth. Again, the new Jerusalem's coming down, not everybody on the earth going up. If you're going up, you're going to miss the whole thing. <laughs> Got on the wrong elevator, man. It's coming down. Yeah. Get to the download spot. That's what you want. It's not the up. So God is in charge. He has now set the Son. The Son is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's seated in a place of authority. He's seated at a place where what he's dictating and calling forth is now happening in, in the earth as we speak. Again, I'm trying to sort through some of this as far as what does it look like when love confronts violence? What does it look like when love conf confronts tyranny? Um, so, and I don't have answers for all that. I'm just trying, I just, I know what the scriptures say. And then how does that work itself out in day-to-day -day life? We want answers. Huh? We want answers. Put another quarter in the machine, we'll see what pops out. <laughs> but the King of Kings is now on the throne. The resurrection and the ascension speak of Jesus' place of authority. Jesus, the man God, submitted himself to humanity's tyrants and violence, giving his life as a ransom for humanity. Yahweh, God the Father, was in Christ Jesus reconciling him to the world. Reconciling, yeah, yes. Jesus is now in full authority over the kingdom as it advances on the earth. So, that's where we're at right now. It's advancing. It is moving forward. I read something the other day, and I, I don't have all the stats to right now, but um, it's a report that's saying that on the, on the globe today, civilization is actually more moral today than it, at, at any other point in human history. Now, you go... Well, that was written, obviously, before Ukraine. Yes, it was, but still true. They're, they're, the general morality of people, a general understanding that violence is not the way forward, that bigger armies aren't what makes one successful, that you know, trying to destroy somebody else is not really the way it goes. Even people who are not Christians are now more comfortable with that thought than at any other time in human history. I would, when I read the article, I would, I read it from the standpoint that we are salt and light and the salt and light is having effect even on those that have not yet come to the place of being a, of being a believer, it's still having an effect. We are shifting the atmosphere of the earth. Yep, there's ups and downs. Yep, man is, is capable of all manner of violent violence. The tyrants are still there. But somehow, somehow love is changing things.
And, and another point is in Matthew 16, 28, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they, they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So, I mean, there were, you know, he's talking to human beings and he's telling them, he's like, this is what's about to happen. They're like, no, 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 we don't want that to happen. He goes, no, it's going to happen. But look, some of you are not going to taste death until you see the Son of Man and his kingdom coming. Incredible, incredible. It's part of what John spoke about when he, when he, in John 12, 32, when he talks about Jesus being lifted up. Um, and then in Acts 1, 9, where Jesus, you know, ascends in the cloud, taken up in the cloud. Now, there are, um, it might have been a literal cloud. There might have just been this cumulus cloud that came down and kind of got under him. And, you know, Jesus with his... Um, halo thing going and he made the hand sign and and he just majestically went up and was gone might have been that but I think what the writers were trying to get us to understand when it talks about the cloud Jesus ascending in the cloud in again in Jewish history in or thinking in uh, first century or well, even beyond that but in Christian thinking cloud doesn't represent something that rain comes in the cloud represented the unseen realm it represented the host of people that were around him it rep you know so i think what luke was trying to get across to us in acts it you know was it a literal cloud well maybe but i think what he was trying to get us to look at is daniel 7 verses 13 to 14 and i saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. I think... Luke was wanting us to, to envision. This is what Daniel was talking about, this cloud that the one like the Son of Man is coming on. It's, it's the heavenly cloud, but the heavenly cloud is the host of heaven. It's the, it's the armies of heaven. It's the, it's the angelic side of heaven. They were always, the, for, in biblical language, that's what the cloud was speaking of. Um, So again, it's this place that heaven and earth aren't far apart where Jesus is just moving from one realm to the next realm and he can easily move back to the other realm and he moves between those two realms as he wants. He's comfortable in both. I think Luke was trying to get us in, in uh, Acts 1 to understand the, the political significance of the ascension. This was Jesus being enthroned. This was the fulfillment of what Pilate had put over him at the cross, king of the Jews. He was king of the Jews. He is king of the Jews. He is king of us as well. He is now Lord of Lord and kings of kings. And he's seated. He's in a place of authority. And now he is, as was the intent in the very beginning in the garden, is to have that authority move through his imagers. 
until all the earth is filled with his glory. It's our responsibility. So another point in the ascension, as we're looking at how the, the biblical writers give us the, the, uh, the, the narrative. When Julius Caesar died, people said they saw his soul ascend into heaven. And upon hearing that, Augustus, Caesar's adopted son, said that proves that he is God which was really prominent for Augustus because that made him the son of God. So it was, you know, yep, I saw it. His soul went up. Well, he's God. And, oh, by the way, I feel so good about this. I'm the son of God, and now I am the ruler of Rome. And that became really a custom, not, not with all the Caesars, but with many of the Caesars, that would be the first thing that they would be proclaiming themselves, was that they, they are a son of God. So when, the, when in the narrative that Luke and the, and the uh, gospel writers are giving us, they aren't saying that Jesus is just another one of those stories that Jesus is now just another God among gods. That's not the point that, that the writers were making. Jesus is the Son of God. And as I've said before, we're monotheists. There's not multiple gods. There's one God in three persons. And, and, and there's nothing, I haven't read any, or, yeah, I haven't read any uh, description of the Trinity that fully answers the mystery. Part of it still is a mystery. But there, there, is, uh, there is a way you could look at it that I, I happen to like. I think it works. But so for me, so I'm one, right? There's only one of me. You can all go, thank you, Jesus. Yes. <laughs> There's only one of me. But in being one uh, within, my, within my family context, I am a husband, a father, and a grandfather. Now, in each of those three, in a sense, I perform as a different person. But my essence is the same, right? So I relate to Linda differently than I relate to Heather and Josh and, and the way I relate to uh, McKenna and Nevaeh and Hazley. But I'm still one. I'm not three. And my essence doesn't change who I, who I am. So there's a part when I interact with any three of those, there's a part why I interact differently. But at my core, I'm still the same person. And it's kind of that way with the Trinity. It's that, that doesn't fully answer all the theological questions that can arise from that. But it is this place that, um, you know, God is one. And so the, the gospel writers, that's the perspective that they're coming from. Jesus is the son of God. Um, and the, the other thing that's interested in this in the ascension is 
we have uh, within short order, all right? So we, we have crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, handful of people still trying to figure out what just happened. There's, I mean, because everything in their world shifted. So what just happened? Where, how, where, where do we go? Jesus said, now go and tell the world. What do we tell the world? Well, what they knew to tell was this Jesus whom you murdered has now been raised from the dead. And your proper response to that is to repent and to become a believer. So, um, uh, so in short order, this little group of people starts to spread out. And as the book of Acts starts with the ascension, the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome, in chains, before Caesar, proclaiming, oh, by the way, you're not it. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. Jesus is the King of Kings. Jesus, in your terminology, Jesus is Caesar. That made Paul real it did. It kind of cost him his head, but... But that's the other piece that, that for me that I'm, I'm, I'm working through. It's like, in one, in one sense, what an absurd statement. You're in my prison, we're in my chains, and I have complete control over you. And you have the audacity to tell me I'm not in charge, I'm not Caesar, I'm not king. Well, that's the most ridiculous thing. I can cut your head off. Well, you can. But you're not king any longer. The revolution has begun. And by the way, you can't see it yet, but your kingdom is already crumbling. It won't happen tomorrow, but your kingdom is crumbling. And according to Daniel, yours is the last great kingdom because there's a new king in town and he's not a kingdom builder the way the tyrants and violence build kingdoms. He builds kingdoms through love and bringing people into right relationship reconciled to the father. So the, the, the final piece about what is the ascension saying that uh, Jesus is in charge. If you sent, in sense, he's the CEO in heaven. Holy Spirit is bringing the plans, the purposes, releasing them on the earth. We are all being impacted by that. And in that impact, we are now the imagers that take this to the world. And we will always look like, um, I think I can say always, that's a big word, but most of the time, we will look to others like Paul looked to Caesar. You got to be kidding me. I mean, you, you mean, who are you? Why, we, you know, this, I mean, where's God? Show me God. You know, I mean, we, we've heard the things. You know, well, you believe in Jesus. Oh, my goodness. He said, that's, just, that's just some outdated thing. It's just, you know, some religious thing. And, and you know, people, we've, we've heard it all, and probably most of us have said, have said some of it. But as imagers, we take the kingdom 
and by the power of the Holy Spirit, men are converted. And that's a miracle every time it happens, and it's the power of God that does it. It is resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection, and when I'm resurrected from the dead as a non-believer and brought into life, he is the resurrection. He is how I get there. And he's done it all so that I can get there. And for the most part, is more excited about me getting there than I am. But he's constantly wooing us deeper and deeper into himself. So crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. All three work together. All three are vitally important. All three state a different point of the battle plan that defeated sin and death and have released life and salvation into the world because it is a new creation. We are new creations. And all things are being all things are being made new. And when Jesus steps his foot back on the earth, it will be a literal foot stepping on a literal earth. And he will rule and reign. And we ain't never seen a government that's going to look like the government he establishes. Pieces of it will be established. That's our job. But the fullness of it is when the king of kings is standing upon the earth. So, and that is our hope. I mean, that was the hope of the early church. It was Jesus' return. Um, I had to, in closing, I, I had to take, spend a couple days just in a place of repentance uh, in when, when I shifted, and for a large part, many of us shifted our eschatology from a futurist point of view to a victorious point of view, one of the, the, in that shift, one of the things I became aware of, I had actually let go of the hope of Jesus' return. Now, I never stopped believing he was going to return. I, I've always believed that, you know, it's a literal return. It's what the scriptures say. But what, what, what the futurist view was, it kept me focused on his return because that was my escape. And when I no longer saw it that way, then I didn't need the escape, so I didn't really focus on it. But it's still true. It is my hope. It is your hope. Jesus will step upon the earth, and when he does, he's going to make right, set right, everything that's out of whack at the time. Our goal is, I, I think, that the things that we are setting right now those are the crowns that we get to lay before him when he comes. Jesus, here, here's, you know, here's the crown where we established your kingdom in this spot. Here's the crown when we established your kingdom in that spot. These are the victories that we've, we've won for you. And now here, here's our crown, and we lay it at your feet because there will be the triumphal entry of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, except this time it won't be palm branches won't be palm branches. Amen. Okay. I actually got it in by noon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But to listen to it, you have to have those electronic things. Ha, ha, ha.
let's stand. Uh, Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the exalted one. You are the victorious one. You are the one that is seated at the right hand of the Father, full of authority, full of mercy, full of grace, full of love. You are the one that is desiring that every man, woman, and child be reconciled to you and come into the fullness of your kingdom. Jesus, I, I just pray this morning that as we, as we hear the scriptures and, and what's coming, what has happened, Lord, may we be filled with a sense of zeal to share the good news with the people around us. That every person can come to know you as Lord and enter into just the incredible relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. And just for all of us, Lord, may your zeal fill our hearts as joy fills our hearts. May we go and run and, and give all this away to the world around us. For your glory, amen.